The reading is found in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, which is on page 978. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at the first verse. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, uh, uh, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has hears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you, have, what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, 
making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, through the written word and the spoken word, may we know your living word in our lives today. Amen. Morning. Um, <clears throat> I keep my phone on over there, so I can run if I need to. I couldn't tell Kirsty to ring me anyway, just in case. Um, as one of the most incompetent gardeners on the planet, um, I did think Esther was probably having a bit of a laugh by asking me to talk about gardening this morning, um, but I will give it a go. A question. What is your, your greatest gardening achievement? Perhaps what you're most proud of in your garden. Uh, if you don't have a garden, maybe you have a window box or a bonsai tree. Um, think about it, take a few minutes, explain it to someone else. What is your greatest gardening achievement? All right, I fear I might, I might have started something by asking you to talk about gardening. Um, I, uh, I don't actually have any gardening achievements. Um, I'm pretty good at destruction. Kirsty will um, attest to that. Uh, I once did pretty well with a cactus at home as well. Um, but that, it's all going to change. It's all going to change because on the 4th of September, set your watches, uh, it is Atworth on show. It's our annual village fate competition. It's not really a fate, it's more of a competition. It's, it's a bloodbath, it's horrendous. It's cool. uh, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that when we moved uh, into our house in the village about a year ago, um, I think there were a couple of potatoes uh, buried in the borders, or our next door neighbors have quite a nice apple tree that falls into our garden. Um, so I was gonna take some of those along and see what happens. If you don't know about Atworth uh, on show, I'm surprised if you don't, um, there are 79 different competitions that we can enter. Um, actually, there are 16 that are children's, so Rupert's going to have to represent those ones. But on top of upcoming uh, baby duties, the, the Dalton household will be deeply involved in a whole range of craft activities this summer. We are, we're going to be making handmade greeting cards. We're going to be creating a, a 12 by 18 inch painting with a royal theme. Um, we're going to be making homemade beer. Um, and I'm going to be taking a photograph, color or black and white, of livestock. Um, it's, it's pretty extreme. It's pretty extreme. 4th of September, in case you're all interested. Um, 
village fates and these competitions, they, they're a really good leveler, aren't they? They bring lots of people together, um, and we can all relate to it. We can all relate to one another. We can understand where all these things have come from. And as Esther mentioned, over the summer, we're looking at the parables of Jesus. Uh, one commentator said that parables are their earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, stories that listeners can understand and can relate to. Now, as you heard in our reading this morning, the passage comes in three big chunks. The first section, verses 1 to 9, the story many of us uh, know so well. And then the middle chunk, that sort of 10 to 17 bit where the disciples question Jesus. And then the last section, 18 to the end, uh, when Jesus actually explains what the parable actually means. We're going to look at all three chunks um, this morning. But before we do that, I think it's useful to be, to be aware that whilst we might take uh, great joy in trying to analyze and interpret every aspect of passages, Jesus didn't actually do that. He doesn't give meaning to everything in the parables. And actually, the, the splendor of the parables is that they are, there are some of all their parts, all pointing to one sort of central truth. And I want to hold on to that point as we explore that passage today. What is the central truth of this parable? So, the parable of the sower. Uh, if you'd like to follow in your Bibles, it's on page 978. So, the parable of the sower is in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. Uh, and of course, each gospel gives us slightly different information. But what are the big things in this passage? Farmer, seed, and the, the four places, the four grounds. So let's start with the seed. Depending which gospel you read will alter the meaning of the seed. So in our passage today, the seed is the message about the kingdom, as it says in verse 19. In other words, uh, in other gospels, it's the word and the word of God. But whatever gospel you're reading, the seed represents the going forth of God's word, the communication of God's word. And the other thing to remember is that whilst God's word is life-changing, it is still in that seed form. It has all the potential to be great. But the way that it is spread is very small at first. It grows. It grows in us as Christians, and it continues to grow in us each day. So that's the seed, the word of God spread about the world. Next, the sower. The sower is the person who spreads the seed, obviously. The person who spreads the word of God, who plants the seed, the message of the kingdom in people's lives. And it's easy to think professionally at this point. It's easy to think of the Esters of the world. But the passage doesn't mention anything about full-time preachers. It doesn't mention anything about teachers of the law. And the sower just as easily applies to all of us, anyone. If we continue that agricultural analogy, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. We are the workers planting the seeds of his word. Now, I don't know a lot about gardening, but I do know this. Plants are best planted at different times of year for best results. So when is the best time to sow the seed for Christ? When 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, it says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. In other words, it's always time for planting. 
So we have the seed being the word of God. We have the sower being those who spread the word. And we're to do this at all times. And next we have the grounds. So in verses 18 to the end, we hear Jesus' explanation for the different surfaces and what they represent. The first surface, the path. Just as the seed was scattered, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Or, as it says later on in the passage, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. A hard path represents a hard heart. And whilst these people hear the word of God, it doesn't penetrate deeply. Their ears hear, but their hearts are unchanged. We need to realize that Satan is waiting, ready to attempt to snatch God's word out of the hearts of people. So that's the first, that's the path. The second surface, the rocky ground. So in Palestine, there was, there was a lot of rocky ground, very little soil, and hence the plants that grew had very little depth to put roots down. In the same way, the seed in the parable, the word is only received superficially. We read that these people receive the word with joy. I'm sure we can all remember a time when God's word excited us and brought us joy, whether it was a sermon, whether it was a song, a home group, or perhaps just a conversation. But in this case, shallow ground in which to put roots means that when the sun comes up, the plants wither and die. So what does the sun mean? Well, in Matthew, the sun, it says in verse 21, is trouble or persecution comes because of the word. Now, I don't know about you, but trouble and persecution sound quite extreme, questionable whether for us today we could say we experience trouble because of our faith or persecution. But in Luke's gospel, chapter 8, verse 13, it says, they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. I find that easier to relate to. We all experience testing, and it will vary for each of us. And that third surface, the thorns. For the seed that fell on thorny ground, they sprang up but were choked. So in Matthew, that verse 22, it says that the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth are what choke the word. But if we bring in Mark and Luke's account of this parable, there are actually four things that choke the word. In Matthew, the cares of this world or the worries. Secondly, the deceitfulness or delight of riches. And then in Mark, it says the desires for other things. And in Luke, it says the pleasures of life. So the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, and the pleasures of life. So along with knowing that plants are best planted at certain times, the other thing I know about gardening uh, is that flowers and vegetables need to be nurtured. They need to be cared for and committed to. Uh, weeds, on the other hand, need no commitment, no encouragement. They take over under the radar. They're stealthy. They need a dressing face on. And our heart and mind is, is like the garden, isn't it? We remove the weeds in our own life. Yet when we think about weeds, weeds, the word has no botanical significance. Because in practice, a weed is just a plant that is considered undesirable in a particular situation. So in some instances, what we may consider weeds may be perfectly acceptable to other people. The temptations of the world, pursuit of riches, can be considered acceptable in many people's gardens. 
But as Jesus says, these things can choke the word. So we remember, as it says in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we've had ground that is hard. We've had ground that is shallow and ground that is thorny. And lastly, ground that is good. So in Matthew, the good ground produces crop. Verse 23, it says, someone who hears the word and understands it. If we piece in Luke's gospel again, the good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart who retain the word. And if we bring Mark's gospel in, good soil stands for people who accept it. So this good soil is someone who hears, who understands, who accepts, is noble and good, and is also patient. Because it says in Mark, by persevering, they produce a crop. So when you, when you plant a seed, it's not the very next day that it starts producing crop. It takes time. Uh, we've got a row of um, sunflowers in the garden. Uh, one is now starting to bloom. The others have been abused by the weather. Um, most have been decimated by Rupert with a bamboo cane. Just took them all down. A sad day. Um, uh, some have been attacked by bugs and spiders. But perseverance produces crops. That one sunflower, it's looking good. Um, So this good soil isn't just about comprehension and understanding. It's about yielding. It's about producing. It says in verse 23, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. We're not just talking about someone tells you about Christ and you go tell someone else. 100 times is each of us telling 100 people. The point is we all have the capacity to give are all to Christ, and in some instances, this will yield a hundred times what was sown. In other cases, 60, and in others, 30. Are the different numbers down to each individual level of commitment? I don't think so. I think it's about ability, isn't it? We all have, we all have different gifts. For some, it's speaking, preaching to thousands of people, leading worship bands on international stages, Perhaps it's missionary work in far-flung places. Perhaps it's missionary work at home. Or hosting, welcoming others into our church, leading a home group. The impact from a numbers game will vary. The point is perseverance, encouraging that seed to grow. So the parable is all about the seed, the word of God, being shared into the world by all of us. And then how it is received. In some cases, it's instantly snatched away. In other cases, it's withers when it's put under strain. In other cases, it's choked because of pleasures, desires, cares of the world. But in some instances, the word lays foundation. It yields. It's understood, accepted, and it perseveres in the hearts and minds of those who hear. Now, it's very easy to, to read this parable and to look on it as a passage about the effectiveness of preaching to read it and conclude that 25% of the time I'm going to be effective in my message. And by effective, I mean drive lasting change in people's hearts and minds. And the takeaway could so easily be to resolve to preach harder, better, more frequently, to bring those numbers up. But this parable isn't about that. It's not about preaching effectiveness. We've covered that first chunk and that last chunk of the parable, the parable and its explanation there's this big section in the middle, all driven by verse 9, which reads, Whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. 
I can just imagine the disciples listening, nodding their heads, going, yep, got it, seed, plant, yeah, get it, understand it all. And then the last comment, whoever has ears, let them hear. Surely, I mean, we all have ears, and isn't the only thing they're doing is hearing, isn't it? But rather than question that whoever has ears bit, the disciples say, why do you speak to the people in parables? The first thing to note is that the disciples say people or them. Why do you speak to them in parables? It's not until verse 36 that we read Jesus leaves the crowd, so we can assume they're still there when the disciples ask the question. Now, the disciples could ask Jesus that question at any time. But in asking it now, we see their desire to have the parable explained to the people. They want the people to have understanding. And what does Jesus do? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? That Jesus doesn't really answer the question at all. Why do you speak in parable? He sort of describes what happens when he does. Now, we're not going to go too deep into this section for an August Sunday morning, um, but we can think of these verses like this. Golf. Golf is the greatest game on this earth. To some uh, informed people, it's a passion. To others, it's a complete mystery. Um, BBC Two being taken over for like a whole day in the summer can annoy a few people. Anyway, golf is strange rules, it's customs, it's strange clothing and etiquette and equipment. There are a whole host of secrets that are only made known to those who love the game, who are keen enough to find out more about it. And of course, anyone can play golf, but to be exceptional requires perseverance and commitment. Now in these verses, Jesus is speaking to two groups. He's got the disciples and he's got the people. And the disciples already had some knowledge. It says in verse 11, the knowledge has been given to you, which has come through their personal relationship and commitment to Christ. And the people, whilst hearing with their ears what Jesus is saying, they won't truly comprehend the sheer depth of his message, the mysteries of the faith, without putting in further effort to know him. So these parables, they serve as stories for them, which, upon sharing with others, they might understand more fully in the future, as God reveals to them through his Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So the message of the parable is a spiritual message about a response to him and the word, rather than a deep intellectual understanding of Christian ideas and principles. The consequence or the inevitable result of Jesus speaking in parables is that these truths can remain hidden. And the why, why do you speak in parables? So that we might come to know him more, that we might strive for better and deeper understanding. So we're all called in different ways, be it hosts, be it worship leaders, be it preachers. But the passage today is about another great calling, the calling to hear the word of God, which is no small thing. Our passage today is a reminder that so much in this world is to be, re is to be revealed to us but at a time and a place when the Holy Spirit will open our hearts and our minds to it. So we're reminded today that we should be striving for spiritual insight, trusting in the Lord and relentlessly persevering to know him more deeply. Other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 
this passage applies to us every day, doesn't it? It's not just on a Sunday morning. It's not about how do you respond to him the first time you ever heard the message. The passage is about how we respond every time we hear the word of God or meet with other Christians. And it's not easy. It's a challenge, but it's worth it. Because as Luke says in 13, uh, in chapter 13, verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. So I want to finish on what St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God gave the increase. In other words, regardless of who does the work, the success of it ultimately lies in God's awesome power. At the start of the sermon, I asked you what your greatest gardening achievement was. Perhaps bringing people to faith might be even greater. So let's get planting. Let's pray. Lord God, open our eyes and ears that we may hear your word with honest and good hearts, understanding it, accepting it into our lives and persevering with it so that through your power we bear fruit to your glory. Amen.